and welcome to Found in Translation, a weekly-ish exploration of one fellow's translation of the Christian scriptures one chapter at a time. I'm Brandon Rhodes, and across the internet for me is the translator himself, Brandon Johnson. Hi. Hey, I'm really glad to be getting to do this with you today. So some of you listeners may notice in this episode that sometimes Brandon Johnson's audio doesn't sound quite right. We just had some technical issues during the recording that we didn't notice until after I started producing. So thank you for bearing with that, and let's continue on with the episode. We are talking this week about Matthew chapter 5. If you haven't had a chance to read Brandon's translation... I highly recommend you do it. There's a link in the show notes. So be sure to, while you're in there reading the translation, check out the footnotes as well. There's a whole bunch of them this week. So go ahead and give it a read. And oh, actually, don't start yet. You should know Matthew 5 is going to be one of probably a couple chapters that we're going to need to take a little bit of a slower pace on. Uh, There's a lot of content here and not just... It's not, not because it's a long chapter, but because the, sort of the voice of, of it changes a bit. It introduces a number of new ideas and themes and words that's different from all, a lot of the prologue we've hit so far. So we're only going to be going to, to verse 20 this week. So go ahead and read through verse 20. We'll be here. Hey, welcome back. So this is the first stretch of a three-chapter part of Matthew's gospel called the Sermon on the Mount. The previous chapter, Jesus is baptized, he's dunked, he's dipped into the Jordan River, and he goes forward with his, his new buddies and it begins here with him sitting down on a hill and dictating these next three, <laughs> or orating, I suppose, these three chapters. So with this three-chapter stretch of teachings from Christ, there's going to be some arguments and themes developed over the course of it that you know we can't like disclose and hit on all up front. And I, I'll give a bit of a spoiler here that what you've told me is that it was in chapter six that you started to observe and and apprehend a few patterns going on under the surface here. And it informed, like, as you were doing individual word translations, and then you kind of had to go back and and say, hmm, I might need to change that. So I don't want to get too, I don't want to disclose too much of what that bigger pattern is that you see yet. I want us to kind of like explore our way there. But can you, can you speak a little bit to this? what this process is like for translating across not just words and sentences and paragraphs, but in like a big old speech from Jesus. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing involves kind of like, I'm looking at a word in front of me, but also when something seems like it suddenly becomes clear going back and realizing, Oh, okay. That, that influences how I'm understanding what I did in a couple of chapters ago or this earlier part. And so I have to keep going back and forth and adjusting things, the long, long process. And one of the things that became, was already something I understood of having these three chapters are one sustained discussion. Yeah. Which is actually something different than I have heard people say. I've heard people talk about, well, this is just like a collection of different messages 
And I think part of the reason people think that is because of how our Bibles have headings and verse numbers that very neatly, like they separate every paragraph and give it a different heading as if it's an entirely different new subject. Um, mm-hmm. And then we read it that way. And we have sermons when we go to church that only talk about those six verses as if they're happening in a vacuum. And the more I read through this and translate it and ex- experience what's here, the clearer and clearer it becomes to me that no, this is one sustained thought that has a very clear progression mm. from one idea to the next that builds on itself. And so, yeah, there should be no divisions uh, within this. It's not to say that there's not any like transitions in, in there, but it's one sure. message. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there is a progression. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. What, what is the sermon on the mounts? And like, could you give, give listeners a little bit of a, summary of what i guess how it's usually uh, understood like you say the just the typography on the page lends a lot of normies to just saying oh it's a kind of collection of sayings mm-hmm. almost like thomas yeah it's clearly there's a big theme throughout matthew of jesus walking through a lot of the his, the events in israel's history and paralleling a lot of the roles and experiences of Moses and just of the people of Israel as a whole. And so this has kind of its equivalent in Moses teaching from Sinai. So you have Moses on the Mount, on Mount Sinai, teaching God's instructions to the people. And so here we have Jesus on, doesn't actually name which mountain it is. Just He goes up a hill. And, and sit down <laughs> and so we call it the sermon on the mount because it starts with talking about jesus going up a hill and and mm-hmm. sitting and, and then doing this teaching and there are some parallels that we can get into a little bit more of like moses talking about blessings and then jesus starting with blessings is the traditional word for it i changed the word here and i we can we'll talk about why and then it goes on to explicitly talk about we won't really get to this part tonight but you know the I'm not here to get rid of the the Hebrew Bible and and Moses instructions. I'm here to like help you understand what it really meant the whole time, basically. Yeah. And then the rest of chapter five in particular is the like example after example of like, here's what you've been telling people this means, but you're missing it. Here's what I'm telling you it really is all about over and over. And so each of those gets taken separately, traditionally. Mm-hmm. And and then there's this whole string of thought in six and seven that we'll get to when we get there that all carries a very, very clear to me now uh, thread of kind of one particular theme uh, throughout that has to do with having enough, really. And, mm. and, and there's a lot of details that go into that. But. Yeah. Well, let's, let's begin with those blessings before we get into each individual one. You're... The usual translation is blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek. You have changed it from blessed to they will be gratified. Yeah, or are gratified. It's present tense. Or are- yeah. Oh. Hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, which is some fodder for thinking through what, why yeah, is it yeah. present tense? But yeah, so I changed the order because. We don't start senses with 
hungry am I? Uh, you know, it's like we talk about you know, the people we're talking about. Yeah, there's no Yoda in the yeah. Bible. Yeah. yeah. And then part of that is the difference in language. English does a lot of helping you understand the role in a sentence, a word or a phrase is playing by where physically, like, like in the order it lands. Mm-hmm. So usually we start with the subject and end with the object and Greek didn't care at all about that. And there's actually like different endings of letters attached to the word to, to tell you what role it's playing in the sentence instead. And so word order hmm. in Greek in the Greek would start with, the words and ideas that it was trying to emphasize the most. So the word that I'm translating as gratified, that's what it's wanting to emphasize here. And then there's this really like poetic, each of these lines starts with that same word. So that's why it's doing that in the Greek, but that's not how we talk in English. There is some room for poetry where you can change up wording order in English and you understand what it means but you notice it's different it's, it's not normal and that's a fine way to do this it's not wouldn't be wrong but it, my goal is accessibility so cool. i'm leaving it as accessible, accessible as possible and then there's the change to the word gratified yes which is a, ri- a little bit of a risk for a few reasons okay um i think you know a phrase that comes to mind for me is instant gratification or maybe self-gratification and both of those are like those are not things that we aspire to. Those are things that we should be better than. Yes. You know? Yeah. And I and the word it's just gratified by itself does not have that connotation. And it's not one that I use normally in language, but I think it really captures what I was trying to capture here. So mm-hmm. if I look at, at the dictionary for makarios, which is the Greek word here, you're gonna have you have you're given two options and only two options. Blessed, or if you want to get older sounding blessed or happy and those two things feel really different to me and yeah so they to figure feel out, really different yeah what why are these the two options how are they related what is it actually trying to get at here and i like depending on what translation you like you can see it but see both some people choose one some people choose the other and but it, so it feels like so the, the blessed to me feels like there's a receiving of something mm-hmm. you know the, the people that it's are being described are receiving something presumably from God. It doesn't name it that as such. And that that's a it good thing It seems transitive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and that that receiving is a good thing and that it's really, really well targeted. Each of these groups is like, it's, it's, it's giving them what they need. It's healing them right where the hurt is. It's filling in the hole that was particular to what was missing for them, but you know, whatever the case may be. And so there's that side of the re- the receiving, but then there's the happy side is like, there's the, there's this experience of like noticing that I'm receiving this and responding to it. And that, that to me is, is maybe where the happy meeting comes from. And so what that sounds like to me is like grateful. I'm grateful to have received this good thing. My ne- I'm being gratified, made to feel grateful because my needs are being met because I'm being responded to in a way that's caring. And so that's, that's how I landed on the word gratified here. Yeah. I find it refreshing. Blessed is just such an unused, I mean, it really has become a religious technical term and not even technical, just honestly, like it's a religious garbage word at this point. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's a hashtag, you know, it's like a, it's a way of saying of humble bragging at times. It it just kind of reads that way, which is a, a major bummer that that word has yeah. kind of been 
broken, but but I'm grateful for the gift of of trying this out. So there's an let's let's jump into that first beatitude. Usually it's blessed or happy are the poor in spirit. Here you have those experiencing poverty, comma, having only their own breath, comma, are gratified. Now, to my eyes, those are completely different sentences. <laughs> it's uh, a big difference in number of words, that's for yeah, sure. Tell the, tell the story of how you got there. I'd like to learn. Yeah, well, honestly, it's kind of a, a sense of I'm just doing my best best guys i think that's the truth for everyone who runs into this the 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 word here is poor as an adjective so poor ones uh i feel like just calling someone poor is maybe not super respectful current day it you know jesus is not being disrespectful here like that's the way you use language when Jesus yep. is speaking and has been in English for a long time, but we're growing and changing and the language is changing and customs are changing. So I changed it, those experiencing poverty as trying to have a more respectful way to think about this. And it's something that's happening to people and not something inherent in them. So that's the first change. But then there's that in spirit, the, that is just feels completely like, I don't know what to do with this. And the thing is, it's that's not just me. And because I don't have as many degrees or as much years of research into this as other people, no one knows what this means. <laughs> yeah, I've read a couple of commentaries on Matthew. Nobody, no, nobody knows what the hell to do with it. Or there's no, nothing is satisfying. Like, yeah, there's some good guesses. Like, cur- cursed are the yeah. translators, for they shall be vexed by this. It's it's mm. squirrely. Yeah. So it's the preposition n, mm-hmm. which is often translated as in, but can also be commonly with or even by. Or like, there's a tons of English prepositions that sometimes are the most appropriate one to use. It's just like squishy word. connective word. And then panuma, the word that is traditionally spirit in this spot is just as legitimate to do as breath or even wind in English. So you just have to choose without the context to explain to you what it's trying to get at. You just have to pick something. Mm-hmm. And I'm choosing to try to, based on context, being informed by some of the other things that are said in the Sermon on the Mount and kind of picking up, this is the theme that I'm seeing here overall. So it would be a reasonable kind of next step to think that this might be addressing that theme. But the way it's often handled is we don't know what this means. So we're just going to like try to give it a one-to-one end to in Panuma to spirit and let people figure out what the heck that means when they're sermons. Like we, we don't want to piss anybody off or be accused of editorializing gratuitously. Yeah. Therefore we will just stick with like, Oh hell, let's just hit the forward button on this mm-hmm. and do a direct translation word for word kind of thing. Right which says almost nothing is the end of end effect of that. Yeah. So I'm taking a risk here and it could easily be wrong, but I don't think it's wrong enough to cause harm because like I said, I was intentionally choosing something that's already showing up in this passage. So the, 
and even my wording here, having only their own breath may not even be the best way to say what I'm trying to say. So that's something I may come back to and, and fit it with a bit more. But the idea that I'm have in mind for this line is that the people who are so poor that they have nothing to their name except the life that they're alive, basically. Mm -hmm. No, no possessions, no security, no status. They just are alive. And that is who the divine reign is for. And they can Mm -hmm. be grateful that this is happening. This divine reign that Jesus is saying is, is close. It's almost here. And he's actively trying to make it happen for mm-hmm. them. Yeah. That's great. So jumping down, we'll skip over the second gratitude to verse five. Usually it's the meek, but you've got yeah. uh, those who reject force. As a Christian pacifist, I like. Sure. <laughs> My anarchist impulses also like that. But meek usually... Mm-hmm. doesn't necessarily convey that. It can convey a very, I don't know, mousy, weak, submissive mm-hmm. to a status quo. Um, yeah, which I've heard yeah, sermons there's... trying to say that that's what we're supposed to be like. And then mm-hmm. it gets weird. Be sweet little soldiers for the Lord. Yeah. And then have, hearing other people wrestle with like, that's not who I am. Does that mean that like, how I God made me is bad, basically, that I'm not naturally meek. And mm-hmm. uh, that's not what it says here. A better word, but even like, and I considered using this, would be gentle. Je- uh, meek is mm. just an out, really outdated word to put here in the English. And it's not about weakness. It's not about mousiness. It's not about not speaking up. It's not about any, it's being, it means gentle. And that would be a, a reasonable thing for me to have put here. I wanted to use reject force again because of the themes that I'm seeing throughout. There's this sense of even just within the next few verses of you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be targeted. You're going to be the recipients of violence basically. And if to be the ones who inherit the earth really counterintuitively, you're not going to return in kind. Yeah. Um, which is turning everything upside down because everybody knows that you don't get anything unless you fight, unless you make sure that other people don't get it. And that goes against everything that Jesus is about. Yes. So I think that's the kind of gentleness that he's talking here is so committed to gentleness that everyone can see that you are completely rejecting the use of force to make the divine reign happen. Mm -hmm. So the net, let's move on right to the next one here. Those who hunger and thirst for justice. Am I going crazy? Is it usually righteousness there? Yeah, and we're going to keep seeing this over and over again because I think this will be times, a theme. <laughs> yeah, as many times as Dikaya Sune traditionally translated righteousness and Dikaios traditionally righteous show up, that's quite mm-hmm. a bit. You'll never see it in my translation. It's a, it's a commitment of mine to avoid it as a religious technical term, as one of these words that only get used in a religious context and we kind of gloss over it because we kind of don't know what it means, but we kind of do and it's easier just to move on. So this is this is this is what it is. It's it's justice. And I think it's bigger than justice too. It's the sense of everything being the way it's supposed to be, like the way this the 
things being well, things being connected, mm-hmm. and everyone has what they need. Like everyone's in right relationship with each other and in harmony with themselves and with the land and with God. And like there's no badness. There's no hardship. There's no mm-hmm. hurt. You know, that's that's what this word is. But that's a lot to capture in one word. Yes. So a variety, a medley of phrases to capture it. Mm-hmm. Do us well. Yeah. So there's all of that. And I think it does come through with a little bit of a focus on the way I'm living is in line with this. Mm-hmm. So, so, mm-hmm. so right action or right living wouldn't be a bad translation, but the word right in English, at least in the traditions that I've been around is there are some risks associated with using that word. So, so I, I use over and over, I'll use just or living justly or justice or sometimes committed to all things being well, those kind of ideas. Yeah, that I'm so much more energized by that image of like, I've got this hunger, this fundamental, my own vitality is like dependent on, I'll only be satiated by justice that feels good like that that aligns with what the rest of the tradition and what jesus teaches is about yeah let's let pain get under your skin let love and compassion get under your skin and you hunger for it and i you know i don't know because righteousness is just some sort of esoteric religious word you know for for those of uh, you listening who are Protestant, you're all probably familiar with a certain line of argumentation where righteousness is some sort of admission badge to heaven or to religious belonging. And it's really easy for people to preach or study and dis- and try to connect these dots all over the New Testament, the Christian scriptures. Of what this technical word means of like see righteousness is that magic is that golden ticket <laughs> to heaven and here jesus is talking about it those who desire that but it's like that's that's the up arrow that's the arrow to heaven that is not actually present in the gospels these stories are about the down arrow the da- the condescension of the divine to earth the homecoming of god to creation the kingdom of god coming to earth the um uh, rapture in reverse the dwelling of god is with humanity is what the angels sing in the final stretch of the scroll this helps me see the down arrow mm-hmm. it makes way more sense than the like golden ticket like religious technical term which is not what any of this was about <laughs> like no not even a little not even and a it, little there's no remainder yeah and the down arrow it like using that phrase makes me think of like a waterfall that's hitting like the surface of the water below and you see it like scatter in all directions the oh, that's good like like it, it's down and then it's out it it we are transformed we receive and we channel this justice we channel this right living this commitment to all things being well yes. not by like we are following all the rules but by like actually making a tangible difference in the lives of the world around us. Mm-hmm. And the, the role of the heart really is core to 
the kind of ethic that Jesus is summoning his listeners to. It's, you know, because their desire will be fulfilled. And then if you jump down to verse eight, those whose hearts are set on what's truly valuable are gratified because they'll see the divine. Yeah. Could you say a little bit? Let's see, that's usually pure in a heart, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So heart, cardia in Greek. We, we think of heart in English as like the metaphor for where feelings are, which is a good metaphor. I like it. My heart, my physical heart is activated by a lot of my emotions. You know, it, it speeds up when I'm excited or when I'm happy or when I'm scared or when I'm angry and it slows down when I'm, yeah. So it's, it's involved and it's just not the organ that was used for metaphors in this culture it, for that. I think it was kidneys. Maybe or even bowels. Bowels, bowels, maybe even, and it might even be different in the Hebrew and the Greek. But but heart <laughs> for for both the Hebrew and the Greek, heart represents where desires are, where the desires originate specifically. So sometimes, because desire and emotion are related, sometimes leaving it as heart works. You know, like in chapter in verse eight here, those whose hearts are set on what's truly valuable, having your heart set on something is a pretty clear. This is what I want. This is what I'm desiring. This is what I'm pursuing. And so same here, like hunger and thirst for justice, desires to fulfill. And so the pure in heart, it's those who have their desires set what's pure gold. What's like, what is, what's fully in line with all of these things that we're talking about here with, Mm -hmm. with this justice that's, good for all it's that set that purity that unwaveringness uh, of, of these desire that it and it's the value that god has hmm. and by insisting that that is present tense that's remarkable there's yeah i think it can be tempting to not let ourselves fully feel lack or injustice or pain, or suffering, or to have sustained presence to the suffering of another, because it'll hurt, you know? That doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like gratification. But this idea that those whose hearts are set on what's truly valuable, like to actually really feel, and, you know, setting your heart on what's valuable, like, you know, right relationship, cosmically, shalom, justice, all this thousand ways of talking about it here, the stuff that lasts, right? A life that lasts. Mm-hmm. That does, I to me, that necessarily involves being able to also feel the places where that doesn't, that the thing we desire isn't present tense. Like to fundamentally to desire something is to, there's always, a, there's a, something that is beyond my immersion and apprehension of it, right? Yeah. And that seems like a curse. Like it seems exhausting. Like it's an itch that we can't scratch. And in a consumer society, I should be able to buy it so I stop having that desire. But this verse, like insisting on that, that present instant tense, gratification. Yeah, that instant gratification. Well, the present tense gratification is actually remarkably different from instant gratification. Yeah. Like the gift of your des- the desire is a gift on its own. Yeah. The gratification in the present because I have hope and the commitment hmm. based in that hope to, to keep on. Yes. 
Yeah. The phrase prophetic imagination comes to mind, and I know that is mm. not widely enough used for probably most people hearing this to know what the, what I'm talking. It's a phrase that I've, I've heard in a lot of places. There's a book by that name by Walter Brueggemann. Yeah. And it, it's essentially this capacity to see what could be, what will be from this perspective. It's not just just could be. It's this is going to get there, and it's not there right now but we live unwaveringly committed to doing our part to contribute to it because that's how we yes. do God. That's how it becomes the, the fully real thing that it will be. Yeah, and in Brueggemann's thinking, the vulnerability of public disclosure of that pathos is part of the whole deal. Like that's mm -hmm. what translates it into kind of the, the prophetic key is right. this public enunciation of the agony of that desire. Yeah, we have to share it with other people. So the Beatitudes kind of build this crescendo here at the end from there. Those who make peace are gratified because they'll be named heirs of God. Those who are targeted because they promote justice are gratified because the divine reign is for them. And then there's this couple of verses about like people are going to come after you. And this is the deeper story of what's going on there. What was the, what was it like trying to find your own voice for these passages? Yeah, there's a lot in there and trying to figure out like, should I use persecute for instance, as the traditional <laughs> word? I'm like, that's sort of a religious technical term. It does show up outside of the church, but not, but the word there is like literally like, pursuing and it's like give me the image of like someone like chasing someone like hunting them down and it's like yeah that's persecution it's also terrifying and so I, I think that's that's where i ended on terrorizing this is like systematic people out to do them harm like it's it's a level up from bullying yes quite or it's teasing often. it's not but, teasing it's not bullying it's no this is seizing people's livelihood this is beating them in the streets this is murdering people mm -hmm. lynching yeah. yeah 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 and one thing that i noticed too which is interesting is the bookend of of the beatitudes here is the verses three through ten both of them have the second line as because the divine reign is for them first and the last yeah. but it's not the same group and i think that's significant that it's not so if if we're thinking that my translation in verse three has any merit, which maybe it doesn't, but of that, it's just like the poorest of the poor, the people who have nothing but the, their own breath that they have. Are, the only thing that they have to their name is being alive. The vine reigns for them and they're not doing anything to earn it. It's just, it's, it's a gift. Mm. It has nothing to do with whether it's deserved or not. Yeah. And in verse 10, we have people who are suffering being terrorized because of how much they stand up for justice, for making the world right, who are very actively doing the things that we are being called to do by Jesus and all of this, it's also for them. It's like the first one, those of you who are in a shit situation, the divine reign is for you. And those of you who try to change that, it's also for you. It doesn't mean that your poverty is some sort of perverted, abusive <laughs> blessing. 
you should change that. You, sh- you it's okay to want to change that for yourself and for others to not mm-hmm. have poverty, yeah. to have justice. And I think it may be the same person in verse three and verse 10, like who has nothing and who's working hard to change that, not just for them, but for everyone. And uh, those who, and, those who were, go ahead. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it may not like maybe the person in verse three, like is just exhausted and maybe yes. it needs to be someone else who has been privileged with more resources, more support, more, whatever, more status to be able to do some of this seeking justice on their behalf. Maybe it's two, two people that mm. have this reciprocal relationship that can build the world together. Ooh. Yeah. It's those who only have their breath will be gratified. And if, and if people try to even take away your breath because you want, you're insisting upon a yes. life of dignity, even if the, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I had not met. Yes. Yeah. I hadn't caught that, but yeah. Yeah. If, your translation of verse tough. three, like creates yeah. a nice. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I mean, the word spirit is, it's, it can also be translated breath. It's not just like, a coincidence like yeah. spirit is the life breath it, it is the same thing and they are connected and so this this connection here where when people verbally attack you and it escalates quickly to terrorizing you to lynching you and spewing out every false accusation which if you might notice is mm. this, is from the previous chapter the the false accusing it's like hmm yeah, the people who are doing this are siding with Satan. Subtle. They are Subtle Jesus. Satan, Satan's messengers. Holy crap. <laughs> That's fierce. Yeah. And be gratified because the divine reign is for you. And you know what? Gratified isn't strong enough. Be, like, revel in it, rejoice, celebrate, have a party, dance in the streets. Because mm. everything that you're contributing to the divine reign by enduring, by helping each other, mm. by promoting justice is creating something even richer and more beautiful than what you see now. And you're already doing beautiful and rich things together. It's interesting that you used a economic metaphor. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to have the spectacles on that always that catches every time there's an economic phrase how's that usually translated and why'd you go with this one yeah reward is probably the most common and it's just a money term also already it's 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 the same word that's used for like i do a day's work and then my boss pays me my paycheck that's that's the reward so it's not like hey it's it's not like an award but compensation compensation for my reward Yeah, yeah yeah And so compensation could be okay here too, but there's really this sense of like building something in the present because the future will be even fuller, even bigger. Mm. And so that's why I went with the the return on investment, staying within the the financial metaphor, but also putting it in the context. That's great. And and that will keep showing up as we keep going um, over and over those those financial metaphors. So the final paragraph of the section we're covering today, verses 17 through 20, first thing that jumps out to me is, I did not come to bring an end, 
but to bring them to their full meaning. Mm-hmm. Referring to the Hebrew scriptures, that's usually about like what prophecy or fulfillment or yeah. Yeah, the word there is often fulfill them or, mm-hmm. or bring them to fulfillment. And as as we've addressed already a couple of times, that fulfill has become a religious technical term that really takes us into the weird like fantasy na- novel realm of things. Rather the one than, long foretold who shall pull the sword out of the yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And bring balance. That's right. Pull the sword and bring balance so that those who practice the dark arts won't have control of Hogwarts. That is the tri-universe tournament that we've been waiting for. That's right. Uh, that's the uh, multiverse of, yeah, I'll, <laughs> I'll shut up. Yeah, no, and like we've talked about before, it's more about, it's not about magic, like fortune telling of like, we something was said because we knew it was going to happen in a thousand years and sure enough like this is our guy who did the no it's it's these meant something these are trying to build towards something and the way jesus is living and doing and making these connections is fully honoring what this was supposed to be building toward it brings it to its full meaning. It brings it to completion, to maturity, to, to a wit, way that can be seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's, I mean, in various strains of Judaism, there's a certain energy of Torah has its power, not just in its quiet reading or it's being written, but in its being read aloud. Like there's even a, a different mm-hmm. sense of the kind of energy and presence that the sacred writings are supposed to have that's different in being spoken together than read apart. So how much more so would be when these, well, to code switch to Christian here, when these words take on flesh, mm-hmm. like, and, and Jesus taking on the, it's like he is embodying the, yeah, the heart, the heart of the cardio, or is it the bowels of the Torah? It's all all the organs. It's all yeah. Every it's the organ. Full meaning. The yeah. full yeah. <laughs> full fulfillment. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm told that this phrase "sky and land" is like a consistent phrase and pattern. It's kind of one of these like meta themes that get kind of allusions here and there throughout the canon. Uh, mm-hmm. Anything you want to uh, direct us to here? Yeah, I mean Jesus uses it a lot, and it goes all the way back Hebrew Bible. To the very first chapter of the very first book, God created the sky and the land. The literary term for that, naming the two extremes of a thing to represent the entirety of the thing. Like the bookends, right. alpha and so, omega. Right. So it's essentially saying until every all of creation from top to bottom uh, mm-hmm. will not pass away here. Like a really strong statement here. From supernova to super string. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's everything. Nothing without exception will pass away. All of it will pass away and not these next things, the the smallest letter or the single distinguishing part of a letter, which is my way of trying to just describe what it's talking about, but naming it, Mm -hmm. jot and tittle, uh, which is a really (laughs) funny word, but yod was what jot means. It's the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And then tittle is uh the little hook on the letter like the our fonts that have serifs the little it's like 
that's that's it, it's basically the difference between an E and an F, just like the little extra line. Is it a sin to use a, a sans serif font then? I suppose, yeah. We can't let any of those things disappear. Oh yeah, only uh, the Torah. Yeah. The Torah must no. be written in Times right. New Roman or Palatino. Yeah. yeah. Well, the idea is that it changes the meaning because, like an E to an F. Yeah. It it's a different letter, which could lead to a different word, which could lead to a whole different understanding of what's going on. All right. The last thing I want to point out here is unless your dedication to all things being well, man, this is, is this another one of those times when it was righteousness? That's the one. Yeah. It keeps showing up. These people I'm translating as Bible scholars and Pharisees. Sometimes we'll see experts in the law or, and Pharisees, you know, experts in the law means experts in Torah, which is Hebrew mm-hmm. Bible. So they're Bible scholars, which it hurts a little bit as someone who may have or may not have been identified as Bible scholar at one point. So these are people like we, we hear Pharisees and we like use it as a synonym for the bad guys, the hypocrites, the ones who are out to get Jesus. And that's not at all how this audience would have seen them. These are the highly respected spiritual leaders of the community. They're godly men. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was assumed that they were righteous, that they were dedicated in the way that they were supposed to be to God's vision. And so Jesus is saying, "Mm, you know, like all these Beatitudes that we just listed, like I'm not seeing that so much lived out here. All the stuff that we're going to talk about through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, I'm not seeing that so much here. Like, I know this is hard for you to, to believe, but all these people that you like are your like spiritual heroes they're missing it. You, I'm calling you to something even bigger, even richer, even mm-hmm. more powerful than anything you're seeing from them because they are not participating in the divine reign. And I'm inviting you to do so. You know, you're also giving, a, I love it. You're, you're giving us sort of a secondary play on words here that was not intended in the original but there is a broad movement in scholarship around the Apostle Paul's writings where this Greek word, dikaiosune, righteousness, justice, justification, that, that, that idea of righteousness tends to really be another way of saying what constitutes your inness, your holy belonging, your fidelity to the covenants, your being, yeah, your being in covenants. You're being mm-hmm. part of God's elect people. That's what righteousness was in in no small part about. So that's yeah, kind of the which, argument that the new perspective fits, of Paul's, yeah, because being the people who are belonging in covenant are you know doing the things that are in the covenant. Yeah, yeah, which largely is things connected with justice and caring for the people around you. Yeah, and it's really tempting to let being in the covenant be the those who keep the rules. And by taking this word that is disputable, righteousness, and saying, let's actually use it the other way. It's actually expressing a point that Jesus is making. Like, actually, the your fidelity is to shalom. Your fidelity is to the mending of the universe. Your fidelity is to... Not the rules, but the the divine who is committed to the healing of this place. Yeah. It's a great outflanking of a notion of righteousness 
that is restrictive and prescriptive and not open and empowering and has life and vitality at its heart. You know, it's looking to the, it's looking at the lines on the road, not the destination. Might be another way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so kudos to you on doing a great, very meta play on word here. Yeah. I think it's, it's important. And I think it would have been scary, honestly, for the people hearing it. They're the whole deal of part of like why the Pharisees are all these like following all of these rules and adding more of them onto the rules so that they can be even that much more sure that they don't even get close to breaking the real rules mm-hmm. is because they broke the covenant for hundreds of years as a people. And that led to terrible things and that's a, being invaded by a foreign power and, and many of them being killed and their temple being destroyed and the rest of well, many of them being carted off it as slaves. And like, so that's much. a lot of there, sad things. There's a lot of sad things and it, and it all fits because that's all in the original Torah. It says like, if you live in the covenant with me, you'll have this whole list of blessings. Weirdly. Hmm, where have we seen that? It's in Deuteronomy 28. If you want to look at it, I don't think we should pull it up right now, but I, I think that is explicitly what Jesus has in mind with his list here is he's referencing the blessings of living in line with the covenant. And then directly following those blessings are a list of really bad stuff that happens when you don't live covenant with the instructions and they happen. Mm-hmm. And so when, when people come back into the land and try to rebuild, they're like, okay, we've really got to do follow the rules guys. It's really important. We don't want that to happen again. We're going to get evicted again. It was right. like terms of tenancy. Yeah. And so like you're saying, looking at the road, it's because they don't want to take any chance of stepping off. They're not looking at the destination. They're maybe taking a fork in the road because they can't see what's ahead because they're not keeping it all in view. And they're not knowing how to actually live in the place that their their tenancy is mm-hmm. is in. Right. They're just afraid of doing whatever it'll be that'll kick them out. But what good yeah. is it to be in a place without being kicked out if you don't actually live a fully human life there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that's all embedded in this like few sentences here. This is so wonderful. I, I think that's going to be it for this week. We are both so thankful for your company, listeners, for this week's leg of the journey. The easiest way to support Found in Translation is to leave us a rating or review in your pod- podcast player of choice. That makes it easier for more people to find the show. Second best way, second best way to support this show is to become a sponsor. You can do that for just $5 a month. And yeah, there's a link in the show notes. When you do that, you'll get comment access on the translations Google Doc and the satisfaction that you're supporting exceptionally nerdy independent media. You can find the link to join the community in the show notes. The music you're listening to is by Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com. Found in Translation was produced by Perry FM on Chinook Land. Say goodbye, Brandon. Bye. Bye, everybody.